So today I want to continue the discussion from PureDharma.net uh, for those who are interested in very deep, I think a pretty deep analysis of um, Buddhist core concepts. So the title being Views, Action, Path is extremely uh, bland, but uh, Right View is the first of the Noble Eightfold Path, or the first um, and, and maybe the cornerstone of all eight um, recommendations or forms of Sama, and the first Samaditi means Right View, uh, is essentially first because um, without right view or sitting in wrong view, which is basically nihilism, materialism, nihilist materialism, uh, materialist nihilism, uh, by that, beings generally don't feel any um, any uh, personal need uh, for morality or harmlessness or being careful to not harm. Generally, there is a, um, a moderate or severe disinterest and apathy, indifference to morality, when a person is is hard, hard, fast, uh, locked in wrong view. So, from views and the examination of Michaditi wrong view, we go to Samaditi right view. We go to then an understanding of how that influences action and activity, particularly speech and action, speech and behavior, and how that then fashions karma, and then how karma is um, complicated. Last time we talked about, we looked into the page, what is karma? Is everything determined by karma? And um, here's the link. <clears throat> and uh, I'm not going to go over it all again, but... Um, one of the critical points there is that regardless of root causes, um, he writes, but even if root causes are there, the root causes of whatever, meaning actions in the past of what could be called wrong speech and wrong behavior, wrong action, uh, physical and by verbal, even if root causes you know, for trouble are there, we can stop them, or I would say modify them from bringing their results or manifesting by blocking the conditions for them to come to fruition and it's you know he says blocking the conditions I don't know about blocking anything but I know about um, changing the atmosphere the chittakash or mind space chitta akasha like akashic record chitta sat chit ananda same chit chid or mental processes chittakash mental akasha Akasha, like Akashic record, meaning space or uh, field. The mental, the karmic chittakash, or mind flow, is certainly influenced by everything we do um, and think and say subsequent to those root causes, uh, establishing further causes. And that changes uh, effect. And so that's why Gautama had a you know thorn in his toe uh, in the story, rather than he got an eye for an eye after he claims uh, he murdered somebody in a past life, and that's why he got a thorn in the toe, but it was only a thorn. So we understand that, and that <clears throat> there's a further analysis of karma where there's 
um, these five niyamas, uh, which are basically conditioning laws that are associated with um, karmic um, manifestation, karmic ripening. So, the law of gravitation, law of gravity, like some kind of uh, called dhamma niyama. This is not that critical to know all the Pali or to all the five, the categories of five uh, influencing condition, you know, laws, universal laws that condition the outcome or ripening of karma. But it's true. Uh, We are living in a physical space-time environment, and so there are certain laws of physics, and that we are bound to them to some degree is uh, part of uh, our karma or part of uh, the karma that affects us. Um, <clears throat> likewise, um, everything is is breaking down, and so um, even karmic causes are subject to impermanence and cessation, and that's also very subtle. So whatever arises passes away. Um, the intensity of the karmic, of the charge of a karmic uh, cause or root cause, right? Like, <clears throat> I, um, I'm, I fall into malicious speech and I um, viciously attack somebody verbally. That's a cause, a root cause, let's say. But since that time, <clears throat> I also partake in um you know kind speech and self correction and meditation and uh benevolent actions or something with others uh that influences um the ripening of or what will ripen from that root cause but even the <clears throat> um intensity of that karmic um strike like ringing a bell, the echo naturally degrades over time as well. And that may be what's called utu niyama, which is um, sort of the the karmic, uh, the, the inevitable degeneration um, or weakening of all charge by the law of impermanence, you know, the fact that all, all anicca and all things are decaying, you know. <clears throat> uh, that was one that was uh, referred to in Gautama's last instruction, which is something like, uh, "All, all dhammas are um, unstable uh, and decaying. Uh, work out your own salvation diligently. Diligently um, affect your salvation. Uh, everything is breaking down around you, and that that's a very subtle." <laughs> profound perspective actually then there's uh, all sorts of these other so then there's other <clears throat> objective um, multi-dimensional or octavic associated with the whole octave of multi-dimensions karmic factors that influence the ripening of our own personal karma so um, the you, you can't clear you know clearing karma probably really means uh, <clears throat> weakening karmic charge or strike charge you know that like karma as ringing a bell 
striking the bell, bong, but the echo or the sound, the vibratory ring <clears throat> steadily decreases. When we call, uh, you know, karma's cleansed or cleared, always cleared, uh, <clears throat> it probably would be um, the end of the bell ring and the end of the echo, the end of the vibratory audible sound uh, from the bell strike as um, a karmic root cause uh, charge having dissipated to being no longer uh, affecting body or mind. It's still in one system or things, the, the consequences may be there obviously or long-term consequences would change. So it's that complicated and uh, <clears throat> again uh, the importance of this view of action, view of kama, uh, is that people are careful not to make trouble, not make trouble for ourselves in the future. And so down the page, <clears throat> uh, the final point, number seven, he wrote, finally there's a misconception out there that one needs to get rid of all kama, or kama vipaka, which is uh, the cycle of cause-effect, in order to obtain nibbana, that's completely false. One obtains nibbana via removing deep-seated defilements called asavas or shravas, and that's where we're going to go next. Um, removing karma, <clears throat> uh, meaning one you don't have to get rid of all your karma. In fact, I don't even know if it's possible. In fact, since karma is simply causality, um, the reality that all we do in body, mind, and, and spirit, or thought, word, and deed, uh, all that we do with a sense of selfhood <laughs> before complete and perfect enlightenment has consequences. Then even evolving into seventh density or sixth density is the result of karma. So higher self has karma. Uh, seventh density has karma. <clears throat> it's the karma that got them into seventh density. <laughs> So, to think that you've got to get rid of karma, and you know, he's talking partly to uh, <clears throat> uh, Buddhists and Hindus in India and Sri Lanka that are hardcore academics or intellectuals who might have gotten caught into certain ideas that, we, that, that I might think are strange or fanciful that would be <clears throat> uh, shallowly conceived, like you've got to get rid of all karma. But you know, uh, to evolve into the the 31 planes to higher dimensions, 6th density, 6th density, 7th density, whatever, um, <clears throat> is all the car is all karmic consequence. So getting rid of kama or karma is akin to being leaving the octave. And so you've got to, you know, leave the octave based on activity in the octave. So it's super abstruse, but uh, the notion you've got to get rid of karma um, is quite mistaken. Uh, but he writes, one could remove most of one's bad kama vipaka, bad meaning what's going to lead us to bondage or, or difficult circumstance, <clears throat> by cultivating arya metta bhavana, and that was basically the Brahma Viharas, cultivating love and compassion, sympathetic joy and equanimity, and the wish may all beings be well and happy. Uh, one way to do that in a prayer when you put your hands together, you know, we've, I've said this many times, may all beings be well and happy, may all beings be free of pain, may all beings rejoice together, 
May all beings live in peace. Uh, <clears throat> I send love light to all. Uh, may all beings be well and happy. You can also just jump into uh, all is one, one is all, may all be well and happy. Which is a little a little uh, more sophisticated maybe. Uh, all is one, one is all, may all be well and happy. Uh, all indicates the unity of all beings. The many beings, may all beings be well and happy. Indicates um, you know, um, assumption of relative dual duality as reality, right? Many beings, but actually, all those beings is one being, and that's called all. May all be well and happy. All beings is the all, all one. All is one. One is all. May all be well and happy. That's another way of doing that, but you got to make it your own. But <clears throat> this this n- notion that. It karma isn't the problem; it's the roots of bad karma that's the problem. <laughs> uh, we will now discuss in the other page the way to nibbana, removal of asavas. And I had a translator in Japan. It's not an unusual Japanese lady's name, asava. <laughs> and every time I saw her, I thought of cankers, like canker sore in your mouth, or. Uh, fetters <laughs> and um, Asava. So every time I saw Asava, the translator, I thought of Asava, the Pali term for uh, basically uh, mental defilements. And in fact, no surprise, um, her face um, had many indications of a significant karmic load. So she had significant, what looked to me like a significant karmic carry-through into this life, uh, and her name was Mental Defilement, um, <laughs> Asava, who was who basically a nice person, of course. She did me right. She wasn't bad to me at all. Uh, but she was the one who told me uh, something like, when you're in Japan, you have to do it the Japanese way. And I said, what if the Japanese way is wrong or distorted or hurtful or trouble, problematic? She said, no, it doesn't matter. You have to do it the Japanese way. And I learned something from that. <clears throat> so, on the second page, the term asava, Pali term, used in Buddhist scripture, means influx. It has many, you know, many of these Buddhist Pali terms have many variant, have variant meanings. Influx or canker. Now, that doesn't seem to be similar. Influx means something that's flowing in. Canker is a, a pestering sore like a canker sore in your mouth. Uh, And so it's associated with mental defilements. And these, um, it's associated with all the mental defilements, and there are many, many ways of uh, categorizing. And so there's the the three forms of craving, uh, craving for sensual pleasure, craving for existence, craving for non-existence, kamabhava, um... I don't know, I forgot what, craving for existence, something bhava, bhava, bhava in this case, uh, no, it's kamaraga, bhavaraga, abhavaraga, I don't know. Anyway, uh, these are uh, very much akin to the three major worlds in Buddhism, Uh, kamaloka, rupaloka, arupaloka, I mean, this is not unhelpful, you know, if you want to understand the conditions of the seven dimensions better. 
to integrate the Buddhist cosmology of three worlds, Triloka, with the Buddhist with Ra's view of seven dimensions, seven dimensional densities. Uh, here in 3D, called also Kamaloka, um, there's insatiable desire, or the mind never stops. Um, basically seeking some kind of, of fulfillment. There's there's perpetual grasping and um, experience of loss and regrasping. That's generally uh, everything outside samadhi is like that. The mind is that way here in Kamaloka. But in fourth them, it's in fourth five, which I think is uh, akin to Buddhist uh, Rupaloka, form dimension. Uh, there's more stability of mind and matter or energy fields, and um, there is there is a cooling down of that uh, continual grasping, and in the highest realm or arupa, there is um, a tat you know the beings there like formless like higher self experience non-duality, six density seven density, but the being but being stuck there so you know Buddhism doesn't just give cosmology they're talking about freedom from attachment to even the highest levels and so beyond 3d in the form realms fourth fifth density beings crave for existence what they're craving for is continuance of the wellness they're feeling in six and seventh density beings in formless realm arupaloka are actually there because, I mean, why are they there? Because they're not finished with being there. Why are they not finished? How are they not finished? Because they're still clinging or craving or wanting something from that experience. And while we call it learning, Gautama calls it clinging, upadana, and craving. Um, and so craving or tana, thirst, basic thirst, which leads to a craving and a clinging, uh, as the basis for why beings are in any particular level and haven't gone beyond them. It's also associated with the the value of learning and knowing more about creation and self and, and all by the natural course of, uh, you know, evolution in every dimension. So, uh, as I learn, um, I crave less. And the craving for sensual pleasure of Kamaloka, the craving for existence or continuance of the well-being in Rupaloka, fourth density, fifth density, and the craving for non-existence, which is the highest form of craving, which keeps beings in sixth and seventh density, which is basically an attachment to formlessness, which just means, you know, needing to learn more or balance more or move out of um, ahamkara and restlessness more. You know, so there's the Buddhist ten fetters, and then there's the Buddhist three forms of craving. And then there's the Buddhist cosmology of three worlds and 31 planes, which uh, correlates perfectly with raw seven dimensions. And beings are there because they're learning, but they're also freeing the fetters, freeing themselves of all attachment and clinging and craving, um, and finishing their karmic requirements. Um, but, you know, the Buddhist, you know, Buddhism is criticized for pessimism, Buddhist pessimism. Um, creation is basically seen as a burning house. The octave is seen kind of like a flop house. <laughs> the flop house of the, of the octave, you Buddhists. And um, Meaning, uh, the house is burning, you've got to get out as soon as possible because you don't want to fall back into hell, you know. Because you might, if you're still in the octave. 
Yeah, because even if you're a six density wonder, you come to third density, you get all turned around, you know, screwed all screwed around, and then you end up um, doing hardcore left hand service to self, karmic accumulation, depolarization, and you end up having a lifetime in the hell realm, or uh, a stint of time in hell or hungry ghost. Yeah, how about that? Happens not unusually for wanderers, and so yeah. It's dangerous. This octave is a dangerous place if you want to stay out of hell. If you don't know the, the law. Or if you don't live by the law. Or you don't integrate the law. You don't have to know the law, but you have to integrate, you know, um, the ways um, of helping yourself in accord with the law. The law is called cause and effect, or karma. What you, You'll get what you've given. Your giving is um, the basis of getting. And so anyway, um, this term asava, which can mean canker or fetter, it's actually, I think it's more canker and influx, is what needs to be removed on the path to, you know, complete and perfect awakening. Uh, down the page, Wikipedia, according to Bhikkhu Bodhi, who I met at Oberlin 30 years ago, uh, commentaries derive the word from a root su, so you see the word is asava, right? But the root is su. To flow, um, is it A, inward or outward? And in fact, that's the way it goes. Some people have called these influ- influxes, and others call them outflows or efflux, effluence. <laughs> so there you go. Whether the flow is in or out, it's a flow. It's a flow in and it's a flow out. It's a flow through. And, um, you know, there is um, a sort of ending... Uh, Ross said, you are dancing thoughts. When you're free of the octave, you're no longer dancing, but you're um, unified with the realm by which um, those dancing, you know, from, uh, in the realm from which the dancing thoughts came, in the mind of the logoic thinker, that, that thought, um, beingness in the octave, uh, moving through the dimensions as dancing thoughts. Uh, you one becomes unified with that mind, the thinker with a capital T, um, that gave rise to the beings in the octave that uh, are akin to dancing thoughts, the end of the dance. Uh, it's the end of the flow, and the Tao ends with the source. You know, the, the, the source of the Tao, <laughs> the Tao if we call it intelligent energy, or the way of o- uh, octave evolution. Uh, ends when one returns to its source, which is the Logos. And so uh, these asravas or canker sores or defilements, which is a very harsh way of putting it, is an inflow and an outflow, both. Going down, asravas are mental defilements that perpetuate samsara, being the beginning the cycle of rebirth, dukkha, and dying again. And um, in Buddhism, uh, rebirth, you know, Ra talks about harvestability, hey, hey. And, um, oh, it's harvestable, he's harvestable to third dense, to fourth density, and this and that and the other thing. Oh, great. Uh, Buddhist pessimism, <laughs> uh, Buddhist veteran pessimism, I'm a veteran Buddhist pessimist, basically has the view that the whole thing is a mess and to better get out of it as soon as possible. And so... Um, even you harvest from third to fourth, hey, hey, or six to seven, uh, you'll still be dying again. Now, in seventh density, things are a bit different, but 
certainly beings coming out of the second density animal condition, the beginning of self-consciousness at the harvestability of second and third, and particularly third, fourth, fifth, and sixth dimension, progress through continual death, continual death rebirth, continual reincarnation. Reincarnate again and again going into the flesh, into carne. And so um, uh, you can say that uh, reincarnation is an astrava. <laughs> it's an inflow, outflow. It's a continual flow in and out of bodies, in and out of lives, with continual death, dying again and again. When will be my last death? And Gautama at enlightenment said, you know, I have conquered your death. I will no longer die again. Yeshua talked about the end of death, but that's um, not quite, it's the end of um, our illusion of death associated with veiled 3D mind that ends when one is harvestable to fourth density, uh, but one will still die out of time space, or out of space time to time space, or keep dying out of uh, dimensions as they harvest to higher dimensions. So that's evolution. <laughs> that's what's really going on here. And uh, humanity has no clue in the in the main even religion really doesn't say too much can they can hardly get their moral teachings across let alone um, any understanding of uh, cosmology and structure and function of a multi-dimensional universe so that's the world we live in uh bhikkhu bodhi again uh says a stock passage in the suttas indicates the terms real significance independently of etymology meaning the root when it describes the asavas, asavas as states that, quote, defile, bring renewal of existence, give trouble, ripen in suffering, then lead to future birth, aging, and death. That's the Buddhist enemy is um, samsara, which is the cycle of birth and death, which is birth, aging, death, you know, birth, old age, sickness, and death. Hey, hey. And that's, you know, it, it's, it's totally, it's a <laughs> massive oversight to believe that there's no value to experience other than the continual experience of birth, old age, sickness, and death, and that incarnation is this defilement and canker sore uh, on the spotless joy of my being. Uh, th this is um, Buddhist pessimism. <laughs> uh, read the, the raw material and you'll see um, you know, the counterpoint, which is increasing joy. As beings evolve, there's increasing joy and love and happiness. But that also arises and passes away. Yeah. And the Seth material, um, I think, is a very fine picture of um, the profound, rich creativity, creative, rich experience of, of Atman um, as a master artist um, playing with countless colors of consciousness the countless, the palette, you know, the, the, the multi, the, the infinite variation of colors and tone uh, of, of the play of consciousness and awareness, fashion experience, is uh, profoundly rich, uh, like, you know, the greatest museums on earth with the greatest paintings um, in history. Uh, evolution is, you know, far richer even than that. And from a Buddhist view, it's basically all about, uh, you know, getting out of defilement. So that's Buddhist pessimism. Meanwhile, they have a point. 
actually. <clears throat> and one reason that beings keep evolving and experience greater and greater joy uh, and the capacity to help and love all, all. One of the reasons they're moving along is because they're sick and tired of lower levels, actually, also. There is this passion here. And they're no longer interested in what they were interested in at the beginning of uh, in, in any particular dimensional experience, right? Beings at the end of third density harvesting are quite different than the where they entered uh, coming from the animal in the second and 3.1. So 3.1 and 3.7 are really quite different. Likewise, <clears throat> the end of the, the seventh subplane of any dimensional evolution phase for any being, the being is really quite different than it was when it started 4.1, 5.1, and and you can say they're happier and they're in more joy and love. Yeah, um, they're also less interested in what they were interested in in the past, and so this is um, moving out of trouble, also. So other translators bypassing the literal meaning, which is no good. I've rendered it cankers, corruptions, or taints. And I didn't realize that that bypasses the original meaning because, I mean, how do you put an inflow, outflow with a canker sore? There's a pretty kind of different different meaning there. But, um, you know, a lot of translators are, are real um, <laughs> tricksters and dishonest folks. I mean, there are a lot of translators <laughs> whose who, the material they're working with is a much far, har, higher moral quality than they themselves. I mean, the only kind of true scholar is a is a scholar monk. If he's not a monk, he probably is not intellectually and morally developed to the same level of that which he's translating, particularly if it's Buddhism or, or one of the religious or mystical documents. So, <laughs> if he ain't a monk, he probably ain't a scholar too. Or, um, if he's a scholar and not a monk, uh, be careful, because he may be freely changing meaning based on his own feeling. And that's a real problem. So anyway, uh, defilements. So what does it mean? Um, well, uh, if we drop this notion of um, corrupting canker sore, uh, we could certainly call it a mental defilement, however. And so, but it's associated with coming in and going out. And uh, I'm going to go down further on the page here. Uh, some Pali canons mention three asavas that sustain karmic flow. Excuse me. So we're talking about the linkage here between mental defilements or mental tendencies, right? They're all coming out of the three poisons. Grasping aversion ignorance. Based on, you know, sense of self and restlessness. So, so the higher fetters, 8, 9, 10... Uh, ahamkara or self-conceit the sense of self, me uh, as a very high level deep mind basis for getting into trouble or attachment or clinging and craving and a basic restlessness which is, is a kind of thirst you know, the restlessness of the ninth fetter akin to that deep mind basis of attachment and suffering of thirst I mean we're thirsty because there's some, there's some perceived deficiency. The perception of the deficiency is restlessness. And it's not just restlessness, I gotta move, I gotta move, I gotta 
can't sit still. We're talking about the mind, and it's not only in third density, you say, it's in, in the higher dimensions or in the form realm, Rupaloka, Arupaloka, there's still that ninth fetter restlessness. And that's another deep mind, deep basis of these asravas. Um, some kind of, uh, you know, the dancing, the dancing thought, your dancing thoughts. Uh, why dancing? Vibrating. Well, that vibration is, is restlessness in comparison to, um, you know, m- maha, <laughs> uh, ma- maha equanimity. <clears throat> um, great stability um, is beyond restlessness. Uh, and in that, there doesn't arise a perception of deficiency. And therefore, there doesn't arise thirst. Therefore, there doesn't arise clinging or a craving to fulfill the thirst, right? There's a sense of deficiency, and that leads me directly to some hungering for something to fill my empty stomach. Thirst and hunger from a perception of want, of deficiency, of inadequacy. That uh, craving and hunger leads to uh, a searching out what I can do to, to feed my uh, to feed the beast to feed the empty spot to fill the void and that's called clinging and um, and craving and attachment that leads to grasping aversion you know grasping aversion and ignorance in the in the common way but mainly grasping and aversion all of that's coming out of um, eighth and ninth and tenth fetters which are ended only with arahant, way beyond Sotapanna, only at the end of the path. There was one finish with the 8th, ninth, 10th fetters. And that's the real avidya, 10th fetter, the core, the root of the whole problem, which is um, believing, in, um, believing in light, <laughs> uh, being um, affected, um, I would say, uh, not knowing that finity is infinity. <laughs> Believing in finity is avidya. Um, being bound in any way in behavior and concept and view and uh, reactivity to finity, um, not not um, understanding, not not having fused with the reality that finity is infinity is a vidya, I'd say, for anybody who cares. And <clears throat> only a few of you do, I know. Uh, so all of this stuff is coming out of restlessness and, and the sense of self that leads to this clinging and attachment and a sense that i got to do something. i got to keep doing, doing, doing. So some Pali canons mentioned that three asava that sustain karmic flow uh, just a moment. Uh, there are three mentioned Nikayas are karmic propensities for sensual pleasure, Kamasava, uh, karmic propensities for existence, Bhavasava, and um, karmic propensities for ignorance, Ajivasava. And so, you know, these guys, are they, they trip a little bit over their many categorizations. Um, there's certainly... Um, craving for sensual pleasure, which is karmic propensities. Craving for existence. Um, bhava is existence. 
and then there is craving for non-existence um, but here there's talked about craving or karmic propensities for ignorance whatever certainly in in third dimension we're looking at central pleasure in fourth and fifth dimension we're looking at the continuance of well-being and and even joy and love or light attachment to love and light <laughs> and in sixth density seventh density you can say that beings um have not really finished with unity yet and um, are attached to unity <laughs> which is also called non-existence so anyway so, uh, or nothingness sometimes so it's all very complicated then we're talking about you know <laughs> attachments of atman atman's problem um, i'm not really qualified to lecture on that uh, and so then there's sometimes a fourth asrava, dita, right? Michaditi is the dita. Dita meaning view. View asava or view defilement, karmic propensities for a viewpoint or perspective. And you know, Buddhism cuts itself out like the Uruburus eating its own tail. Um, Buddhism totally eats itself and eats its own tail. Um, like the Chinese Chans being saying, you know, if you see the Buddha in the road, kill him. And... Um, Buddha is a stick for wiping shit, said my friend Yun Men in China uh, about a thousand years ago. Um, where are they coming from? They're heretics, uh, masters, heretics. But actually, their point is that even uh, Buddhist teaching is a construct that needs to be dropped. Like Gautama said, it's a raft you to abandon on the other side. So, attachment to view. <laughs> attachment to perspective is a problem too intellectual folks you know who you are uh, are over fascinated with intellectual activity with mental with mental process and actually all our views are mistaken because they're all based on avidya <laughs> they're all based on um, ignorance you know views based on unenlightenment are mistaken you know and so um uh, my uh, Zen teacher Edo Roshi uh, scoundrel though he was and bad guy actually uh, hurt a lot of a lot of women uh, said something made a distinction between Buddhism and Buddha Dhamma Buddha Dhamma is the truth that Buddhism is pointing to what the raft takes us to uh, the reality uh, reality in which our view helps us operate and that's Buddha Dhamma but the view is Buddha Buddhism so Buddhism is the view of the teachings of Buddhism of the teachings of Gautama that's sometimes called Buddha Dhamma but actually a deeper understanding of Buddha Dhamma is the reality that Gautama and all the teachings are pointing to the reality of existence and our condition and um, transformation of our condition to complete and perfect awakening all that reality um, beyond concept that Buddhism points to and Buddhism realizes that views are intrinsically mistaken and that's and that's Sotapanna gets that too even at the first level of awakening Sotapanna there is an understanding that all views of self are mistaken what I am or what identity is is beyond all view and so there definitely can be uh, mental defilements associated with attachment to view
<clears throat> and um, finally, liberation uh, from Bhikkhu Bodhi. It's good that they use Bhikkhu Bodhi a lot because he's a good guy. He died recently. Um, he wrote, When the disciple's mind is liberated from the taints or asavas or defilements, by the completion of the path of arahanship, meaning Nibban, he reviews his newly won freedom and roars as lions roar. Birth is destroyed. The spiritual life has been lived. What had to be done has been done. There is no more coming back to any state of being. A little bit higher than Christianity? No? Any Christians in the room? I mean, I think Yeshua is a great, great being. But we're talking about freedom from states of being. He's talking about love your brother, or turn the other cheek, or the kingdom of heaven on earth. Gautama is talking about freedom from states of being, freedom from reincarnation in all dimensions. Totally different level of teaching. Teaching people who are ready for ending the octave, not teaching, not people who are ready for graduating to 4D. So, then, um, back to the other page, um, way to Nibbana, the removal of Asavas. And I won't be able to get too far into this, but I'm going to jump in a bit. Uh, from puredhamma.net, uh, in the section about seeking Nibbana from Lal Aryaratne Pan, uh, Panaduage, um, the Sri Lankan teacher, uh, adept, who put this together. Number one, the night the Buddha attained Buddhahood, three special knowledges, or Tvidya, different than Avidya, <laughs> Yana, or knowing, arose in him. Three knowledges arose. Number one, the special vision with which he was able to recollect innumerable former human in, human existences. The special vision with which he was able to see beings passing away and being reborn according to their tamma, their karma. And the special vision with which he was able to destroy all cankers or defilements. And so that's a big deal. So number one, he could see all of his humor, former human existences, past lives. That doesn't mean all past lives, but human past lives. I believe he also, I mean, uh, you know, that, that ability is possible. I remember when I was a, a cockroach on Mars, you know, um, the food was green. But uh, that's not spoken here. It's, um, he was able to look, he was able to recall all of his past human lives. He was able to see beings after they died uh, being reborn and um, uh, how their, their activity or kama of the life influenced or determined where they were reborn. Then able to destroy all cankers and defilements, and so that's a big deal. Uh, to be free of asavas, asavakayana, meaning the knowledge of freedom from asavas, freedom from um, the condition or attachment continuance of asavas or mental defilements that's a big deal because the buddhist view is that uh, beings are bound in rebirth or in the octave <laughs> um, as the result of uh, defilements or problems uh, that are associated with ignorance and um, as I said it gets very esoteric if you really try to bore down deep into what ignorance we're we talking about and so it goes on. Number two, with the attainment of this asava kaya yana, meaning um, 
the destruction of Asava's knowledge. Asava Kaya, I guess, means um, defilements, destruction, yana, knowledge, knowledge of destruction or defilement. Siddhartha Gautama became Buddha Gautama. Okay. This was the final step in purifying mind. This was the fruit of all his efforts, the path to attaining Nibbana for any being. Right? Okay. So that's what happens. One thing that happens at the end. Asava Kaya, Asava plus Kaya, equals cutting off all the Asavas or mental fermentations. So then there's another translation for Asava as mental fermentations. Then you get back to Samskara as fermentation, or the fourth Skanda, mental constructions, like, you know mental process as a fermenting <laughs> fermenting uh, fabrication uh, my personal narrative right is a fermented product <laughs> the fermented product of personal narrative <laughs> you can google that and see what you find um, personal narrative fermentation uh, personal narrative as a fermentation as a defilement now um Meaning, fermentation is translated is a translation of of these uh, defile the word asava. Meaning, outflow, inflow, defilement, something that leads us to further binding or suffering. Um, people don't realize that their personal narratives are um, often illusory and um, not much resonant with with objectives. Uh, objective dynamics of the environment or situations. So, but anyway, <laughs> with this attainment of the knowledge of the destruction or uh, cutting off of all of these defilements, Gautama Siddhartha, you know, Gautama became fully enlightened. So, Asavakaya Yana means the knowledge of cutting off Asavas and freeing the mind from the ability to generate any defilement. So, the mind can't fall into the three poisons ever again. And that's because the fundamental, you know, we just look at the last three fetters. Conceit, restlessness, and basic avidya are all gone. So there isn't any fabricated sense of identity. There may be infinite presence known as one's true nature. My true nature is infinite presence, full of, you know, love light and um, love light power. But that's not a self-conceit, and that's not ahamkara, it's not a fabricated sense of self. It's the reality of uh, presence, infinite presence, as true nature. Hey, hey, for anybody who can get that. So that's the eighth fetter, ninth is restlessness, and the tenth is that basic avidya going away. Uh, only a Buddha, or only uh, someone who achieves complete and perfect awakening, are hantu would be finished with those final fetters and therefore doesn't generate defilements anymore. He goes on, the time asava comes from ashrava, ashravayata ava, and in fact many of the, I, I read um, early books and it was, the term was ashrava, not asava, but whatever. Asava comes from ashravayata ava in Sinhala, which is Ceylon, or Pali, which means came to association with thus the habits or gati, the habits that one keeps associating with come even closer. As one continues and feeds those habits through successive rebirths, they become asavas. So, um, let's say I have the habit of not wanting to listen to somebody because 
I think everybody's wrong and I'm always right, then uh, I have a habit of interrupting. And if I keep associating with that habit of interrupting people, then I may be so interruptive that um, I can't listen to anybody ever, and then I probably have ear hearing problems or ear problems, and then all sorts of other symptomology may come out of that. Uh, as one, you know, it's like you have the, the angel on the right and the devil on the left, and whatever you feed grows. And so that's another, that's a law of squares, too, as it pertains to mental process, and we talked about this before. Um, equanimity uh, comes naturally, ultimately out of virtue and lack of regret. If you live right, you don't regret, as well as you can. If you live right and do good, you don't regret. That's called the pleasure of blamelessness. And then there's a basic equanimity, and that leads to mental concentration. And if you're doing practice, that'll lead to some um, uh, awareness of reality that associated with dispassion and detachment and that leads to even more uh, detachment and uh, awareness of reality beyond our fashionings what is, is um, personal narrative is generally fabricated so um, that, which, that which we feed shall grow and if we feed the habits and the ways that are associated with mental defilement, whatever, basically grasping aversion and ignorance. <laughs> I don't want to hear it, ignorance. Um, I have to have it, desire. And no, I can never accept that, hate or aversion. Uh, to the extent that we harden uh, our perspectives on our sense, that's just the way I am. Um, then we're feeding what may lead to further entanglement and suffering, or what's called asrava. Asrava in Pali, Sinhala, and Sanskrit also means a distillation to get an extract or essence. Some medicinal concoctions are fermented by keeping a mixture of ingredients underground for many months. <clears throat> That's very heavy, old. <laughs> you know, you want to find a great doctor, go, go to India. But you've got to go, you've got to have the right karma to find the great ones. Uh, because they're they're coming from the old days, and um, so asrava, which we can say is a defilement or inflow or an outflow or a flow that leads to further trouble and entanglement, uh, can also be called a distillation. Um, it's certainly the distilled product of attachment <laughs> and grasping and aversion. Some habits, gati, we have cultivated or fermented. <laughs> Right? So your mind is a fermented product. Some habits we have fermented or cultivated over innumerable lives, uh, That's why, and that's why they're hard to remove. Yeah, many times. Only through learning pure Dhamma, like his website, puredhamma.net, and persistence in one's efforts, one can break such bad habits and eventually, and thus eventually, asrava, or the, the you know, distilled root tendency. Um, under the particular, basically, thought, word, and deed. We're talking about the basis of distorted thought, dis uh, wrong speech, and wrong action. Here it's raining. So the basis <clears throat> of wrong action, wrong speech, and distorted thought. What's the basis of distortion? Well, multiple lifetimes or long-time feeding um, habits associated with grasping and aversion or habits associated with 
<clears throat> um, lack of love and lack of wisdom. <laughs> lack of understanding and a lack of acceptance. Um, lack of caring and a lack of clarity. Right? Fourth ray caring, fifth ray clarity, blockage of four and five, lack of acceptance, lack of care, uh, lack of you know hard-heartedness to self and other, and lack of clarity, confusion, lack of discernment, fifth ray blockage, leads to perpetuation of lower triad blockage, leads to the distillation of hard-to-break habits. <clears throat> and, and, you know, some habits are not bad. <laughs> they may be considered bad by some people on the outside, but if they're not hurting anybody, the person who's attached, yeah, attached to certain habits that in fact will fall away, actually are helpful. You know, uh, habits that help us break habits, <laughs> help us be free of a habit. And so that's 2150, talking about every failure as a success. Every failure being um, closer, in fact, yeah, closer in time and space to the, to the time of eventual success. Is it therefore a step on the way to success? Um, and sometimes we need a thousand, and sometimes we need just a couple. And um, the path continues, but the root is, is, you know, are you sincerely seeking your liberation? Or do you sincerely admit you have a problem? You're in suffering. You're not too well, you know. Or I have problems. I'm not perfect. And so uh, <clears throat> the root of distortions or lower tracker blockage is um, a, you know, a habit of feeding uh, patterns of thought, word, and deed, thinking, core beliefs, and values, uh, word, wrong action, wrong speech of any type, wrong, and, and deed, any kind of harming of self and other in any physical way. Um, the roots of all of that is basically what we have fed for multiple lifetimes is the habitual. He goes on, some habits are gati, or we have cultivated over innumerable lives, that's why they're hard to remove, and I read that already. And so, only by learning pure dhamma, one can break such habits. There, there are four types of asava, and each may be associated with many bad habits. And that's where we got from the page um, um, Wikipedia, where we're talking about four types of uh, of <clears throat> uh, craving or um, defilement attachment, right? Central pleasure, which is very much of Kamaloka and the body. Existence, which is very much, I would say, actually about the, the perpetuation of preferred mental states, mental emotional states. I want to be happy all the time. So I always buy new sunglasses and I pose for the photographers. Uh, but I'm depressed on the side, so I take drugs in the Hollywood studio and in the uh, L.A. fancy uh, restaurants uh, as my bodyguards surround me and take me to the next photo shoot. Uh, this is a perpetuation of the happy mind, um, even more than sensual pleasure. And there are a lot of people who are uh, fascinated with fame and fortune and imagine that they have achieved um, stable, you know, <laughs> continuance of, of the happy mind state. 
Oh, look at them. They're so happy. Well, I used to think that too. Looking at certain people thinking, oh, they look so well. Not understanding, um, not seeing deeper. I'm not just thinking, but they're seeing deeper what's going on in that mind beyond the happy face and the smile. Or read the smile. Not every smile is the same. In fact, every smile is unique. And the, the state of mind that, that gives rise to the smile shows its degree of sincerity or how deeply happy or not the person is. So anyway, uh, four of these levels of asrava, clinging to, craving for, uh, habitually attached to central pleasure, existence, or I would say continuance of preferred mental states, mental emotional states, uh, and this, you know, what is this, the asrava of ignorance? I mean, I, that doesn't work for me, but attachment, certainly craving for non-existence is a craving, and then finally, um, the ashrava, uh, dita ashrava, or karmic propensities for view, attachment to view, and that is a real problem too, <laughs> and you get a lot of um, Mahayana, particularly Vajrayana, Tibetan Buddhist practitioners who are very attached to view and argue view all the time. Uh, we're getting close to the end here. I'm just going to read three and four and call it a day. Number three, the doctrine of Paticca Samutpada, which is dependent origination, co-dependent ar arising, the twelve Nidanas or chains and links in the cycle of birth and death. And how that's particularly where you see the linkage between Tanha, thirst or craving and clinging, Upadana, and attachment that leads to birth old age, sickness, and death. And th that, that sequence is shown in Paticca Samuppada. So the doctrine of this dependent origination made up of 12 factors, and he goes through the whole long list, Avidya, Sankara, Vinyana. But you can see down the line there, what you'll have is Tana, Upadana, Bhava, Jati, and so on. Tana is, the, is thirst, Upadana is the clinging, Bhava is, um, I think it seems like uh, being, or I'm sorry, becoming. Uh, or uh, it's a kind of um, manifesting that occurs. And so um, the cycle um, would be broken when um, there isn't basis for clinging and craving when that doesn't happen. Anyway, Gautama um, could see the cycle, the, this uh, sequence of the chains that lead to continued rebirth. And um, it's written here, going over this doctrine of Paticca dependent origination, codependent arising, in forward and reverse order repeatedly, he's looking backwards and forwards, he attained the Eightfold Noble Path, right, like the Eightfold Sama it starts with um, Samaditi, right view, which is called Aryamaga, also known as Yatabhuta Yana Dasana. Okay, lots of Sanskrit words there, Pali. So he could see that and see the role of um, these defilements in keeping us bound to birth and death or suffering. Finally, number four, Pachitsamapada clarifies how ignorant beings accumulate defilements and asavas, well, they seem to be the same, accumulate unhelpful patterns in the deep mind. 
which is very much associated with values, you know, actually, and get trapped in the round of rebirth, samsara. These asarabhas are fermented via repeated use of bad habits, gati, and the Noble Eightfold Path is the way to remove those gati, those habits, and thus the asravas or defilements from the mind and from the karmic stream. And so, um, Gautama, as the great physician, <laughs> has diagnosed exactly how it is that we are continually reborn. And Ra has a different approach, but they are very complementary. You could say that Ra is the mother, Gautama is the father, Ra is a love-based metaphysics, and um, Buddha Dhamma is a um, wisdom-based metaphysics. Um, but Gautama is really talking about freedom from the octave, and the raw materials really talking about um, healing and balance and the way of uh, adept, you know, the path of the adept, know yourself, accept yourself, become the creator um, in a Western um, initiatory mystery schools tradition to some degree, based on Don, Jim, and Carla, their tendencies or their experience, determining their questioning, uh, influencing, determining what Ra would talk about. So, but they're super, certainly complementary. Uh, Buddhism falls to pessimism, and the raw material, I think, um, can be called a little too um, theoretical. Um, like the as the basis of why very few people know about their teachings on healing and balance, they didn't realize that's even been taught by Ra in general. What is healing and balance? They don't even know, because uh, there's so much um, cosmology presented. Anyway, uh, this is a, a first pass at this page, and next time we're going to go to the next section. How four stages of nibbana, the four awakenings, are connected to the four asravas, right? So we talked about these four asravas, which he's going to give a much better rundown of. Um, in the next section, the four stages of Nibbana, the four Asravas. And we're getting close to understanding um, what what is the basis of karmic formation, right? We understand that wrong view may lead to harmful speech and action. We can understand that harm, harmful wrong speech, wrong action binds us karmically. Uh, that's really a consequential analysis or analysis of causality and consequence. Um, the mental psychological is um, the uh, fermenting of defilements and habits in the mind. That's the basis of wrong speech, wrong action. That's the basis of harmful karmic, you know, um, consequentiality. <laughs> karmic consequentiality. <clears throat> I like big words. And um, sometimes, they, you know, big words are good because <laughs> you don't have to say ten words. You can only say two. Sometimes two words will tell, take away ten. Why should I speak ten if I can speak two, even if uh, want? Some people can't get it. Well, if you like it, read, look at a dictionary or Wikipedia, you know. Words, we can keep learning vocabulary. I keep looking. So anyway, four stages of Nibbana next time and the four Asravas as basically the mental psychological um, basis for bad karma, formation of bad karma or wrong speech, wrong action. Because that's what we're talking about, which is what creates further distortion and keeps us bound 
whether it's bound in rebirth, it's certainly rebound bound in um, mental disturbance. You know, we want to be out of mental disturbance. We want to be well in mind, well in mind and heart. Well in mind is well in heart. Well in mind and heart is good. And so, to diagnose the problem uh, is really important uh, to move to greater spiritual health, which begins with mental health. Anyway, um, after that, we may finish the page. In fact, next time, the section finally, is there a connection between Nibbana and Kama? So we're moving our way out of Kama to mind, and then uh, the levels or the achievements of uh, awakening which end at Nibbana. And there are a couple more pages uh, in the future weeks that I'll get into, uh, but not right yet. So I hope this was helpful. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, please take good care of yourselves, and good night. <laughs>